you got your Bibles open with me, hmm. Matthew 27. It's the story of Barabbas. I was attracted to this story a few weeks ago and knew that I would do it Easter Sunday morning. Since then, I've heard <coughs> his name mentioned with Easter all over the place. And so, obviously, the Lord wants us to understand the story of Barabbas. And so, uh, he's going to reveal some of that to us today. Uh, this service, I want to go back a little further than I did last service. You know, Jesus always knew that his ministry was going to end the way that it ended. But there was a, there was a particular point, I think, in, in, in Scripture where you see in John where Jesus actually knows that this is, this, you know, the time is near. I mean, we're, we're running down the, the home stretch. And, and that's when he heard his buddy Lazarus was, was sick. You remember the story about Lazarus? So I'm going to start the story about Barabbas with the story of Lazarus. That makes sense? <laughs> so Lazarus is sick, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, he's sick, and he says, I ain't going. You remember that story? It's not time to go. I'm going to wait. It's not time I'm going to wait. Why did he wait? He waited for several days until Lazarus died, but it was more than that. It was the fact that he was setting everything up so that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that it said from that moment on, those that were in charge in the religious community plotted to kill Jesus. He knew that that moment was going to intensify uh, the, the plan and the progress in that plan to begin to accelerate. And so you see that happening. Another place that you see it happening is in the garden. He goes to the garden. And he's in there with his disciples, and Judas knew he would be there because he was there often. And it says, and you're familiar with the story, that Judas comes out and greets him with a kiss, and he's got all the armed guards with him to arrest Jesus. And in Matthew's account, it says this about Jesus, that he knew everything that was going to happen to him. One of the things that touches my heart when you think about Easter you have to understand how much God loves you because Jesus, as he sees what's going to happen, as it's revealed to him, he asks the Father, is there another way? Can, I, can, can we get this thing done some other way? And the Father says, no, obviously. And Jesus says, so be it. We'll, we'll do it that way. And so he saw everything. The reason I say that is there's so many uh, things that are represented in the, in the story of Barabbas that, that people try to explain away how this could even actually occur, how the Barabbas story could actually happen. They question whether it did happen and so on and so forth if they're trying to explain away God. You remember me saying last week in the story of Jonah, people don't have a hard time necessarily with the miracles of God as they do the nature of God. Can God really do these kinds of things? And so one of the things I want to do today is show you how God, he knew all this, he set all this up, he used a generation, he used a people to accomplish the task for a specific purpose. And today, by the end of the day, we're really going to grab a hold of that purpose. And so, and so, 
Jesus, seeing everything that was going on, comes into the whole fiasco of being tried at night, which was illegal, and then taken to Pilate because those in command wanted somebody else to do their dirty work. And so he goes to Pilate, and it, and it goes round and round and round, and finally ends at the place where the tradition was that he could, he could release a prisoner. And on his right was Jesus, and on his left was Barabbas. The only reason I know that is I've seen it on TV. It has to be true. It was on the Internet. But Barabbas is on one side and Jesus is on the other, right? But this is what you have to understand, that Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Christ, was on one side. And the in the language of the day, Barabbas was on the other. And Barabbas actually comes from two words, Ba, B-A, and Abba, which means father. Ba means son. And so... On one side was the Son of Man. On the other side was the Son of the Father. The other thing you need to know about Barabbas is that his last name was Barabbas. His first name was Yahshua. So you have Jesus the Messiah and Jesus the Son of the Father. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. And so the story begins where where. Barabbas, who's a criminal, he's a known murderer, and he has been the head of an insurrection to bring a rebellion against the government of Rome. And so he's in prison. He's, he is going to die. He is sentenced to death. And, of course, Pilate then begins to try to work a deal and his wife has this vision, and it says in the vision that his wife comes to Pilate and says, listen, don't, don't you be messing with this righteous man. I've had a dream, and it's not good, so you leave him alone. So in Matthew, the gospel, that the only gospel that it's written that Pilate washes his hands and says, this man's blood's not going to be on me. And then the response in Matthew is this, is that the leaders and the Jews of the day said, let it be on us and let it be on our children. Now, the reason I want you to hear that is, is this is the storyline. And this is the original place, and this is the places that religious people build their case of anti-Semitism. Actually... Did the Jews kill Jews? I'm going to answer that question here in just a little bit. don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to be aware that the Jews did not kill Jesus, and there's no place for anti-Semitism in anything that we do. They are the chosen people of God, and we are grafted in. Let me give you some good news. This morning in the first service, we had a... I'm guessing 62, and I'm guessing with family members, a 62-year-old Jewish woman who has been hearing 
about the gospel for 62 years, committed her life to Christ, and recognized Messiah today, first service, Easter 2018. Thank, thank you, Lord, for that. And so when we look at Barabbas, we know who he was, we know who Jesus was, and, and then we have to ask the question, did Jesus, how did he meet Barabbas? And we discussed that a little bit. And did he know he was going to be, meet Barabbas? And the answer to that is he absolutely knew. He knew everything he was going through. Matter of fact, if you'll look in Scripture and you'll tie all this kind of stuff together, in the Old Testament, in the law, one of the things they had was they had a scapegoat. And the sins of the people would be put on the scapegoat. Anybody ever heard of a scapegoat? You know, putting, putting your stuff on somebody else and making them the scapegoat and send that scapegoat out, free that scapegoat out to, to carry the people's sin. That's the Old Testament picture of what Jesus was about to do with Barabbas. So, of course, Jesus knew about Barabbas. He knew that it was going to be the implementation of the Old Testament scapegoat, and he knew that through divine providence, Barabbas was going to be set free, and he, Jesus, was going to be uh, submitted to die in the place of Barabbas. And so Jesus knew exactly everything that was going on. And we have to understand, number three is that, that a Barabbas is a type. You know, he's a type of you and me. He is, he is a sinner. He was dead in his trespasses. He, he, he obviously was convicted of sin he, because of his murder. He was destined to death, and Christ died. Now, if we look at Scripture and we understand this type is, um, is that we are all sinners. And this is what I want you to, to feel this Easter. I think this is the message that God wants you to have. You can't help the fact that you're a sinner. You see, sometimes we, we feel guilty and there's condemnation and there's, and there's shame because you're a sinner. But the Bible tells us that every one of us was born a sinner. How do you do anything about what you were born with? Messes you up, doesn't it? Did you make choices? Did, did things happen to you? Absolutely. But all have sinned, all were born into sin, and have fallen short of the glory of God. What's that? That's perfection. What's a sinner? That sounds so religious sometimes. A sinner is anybody who thinks differently than God thinks. He knows the thoughts of our heart. Has evil intent, an intent outside of an intent that God would have. An action outside of an action that God would do. Those things are sin. We all have sin. We all have had thoughts. We all have had a heart. We all have done things that are contrary to the way God does things. And the reason we do that is because we were born into a nature of sin. Does that make sense? So you're born into that nature. You, you are Barabbas. He, he was born into that nature. We all were born into that nature. And what Jesus did 
is he decided that he was going to take our place. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. I'm going to read that from the Amplified Bible. It says this. Now, it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life, even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. While we were in that condition, God died for us. Now what he's going to do is when he dies and you you believe in him, he actually is going to change your name from sinner to saint because you're his, because he intercedes. And so we have to understand that there's this exchange that happens, the same exchange that happened with Barabbas. Jesus took Barabbas's place. He stood in the gap. He's interceding for us. Let's look at Romans 8, 33 through 34. It says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is God's elect? Anybody who receives him. Anybody who trusts in him. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect when it is God who, who justifies, that is, who puts us in right relationship to him. Who shall come forward and accuse or impeach those whom God has chosen? Will God do that? Of course not. Who acquits us? He won't do that. Who is there to condemn us? No one. Will Christ Jesus, the Messiah who died, or rather who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God actually pleading as, in, as he intercedes for us, is, is that the case? Is he, going to, is he going to impeach you? No. His whole purpose is to stand in the gap. Matter of fact, if you are trusting in Jesus, I've got this picture in my mind, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. We are, we are uh, uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're, and we're moving and doing uh, in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are becoming transformed. We're going from, from place to place. Hopefully, you're not the same as you were last week or last year or 10 years ago. You're on this pathway of progress as God transforms you into His image. As you get better and better at allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the things of God. And as you do those things, as you do those things and you fail, Jesus is still there. It's not like he interceded for you one time. The Bible tells that he is interceding for you all the time. In other words, when you do something stupid or you make a choice that you know is contrary to God or you have a thought or, or maybe your heart is intent on doing something evil like kill the guy who, who is riding in the left lane at 45 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. You know, those kind of thoughts. Am I the only one that thinks those kind of thoughts? <clears throat> you know, thoughts that aren't, aren't godly, right? We, we have thoughts and we do things and we make choices that we know don't please God, that they grieve the Holy Spirit and we can feel that the Holy Spirit's grieved. I've got this picture in my mind that Jesus is still interceding. He's looking at the Father and he says, God, I, Father, I got that. I got that. I got that. I got that. I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. I got it. I got it. 
He's constantly interceding. He not only interceded then, he's interceding now. And if you recognize the fact that he's constantly interceding on your behalf, it gives you the capability of being empowered so that you can have victory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says this, For I have passed on to you, first of all, what also I had received, that Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for our sins in according with what the Scripture has foretold. He died for our sins, present, past, and future. And so Barnabas is that type. Barabbas, I said that last service. Barabbas is, is, that, is a type. And we're including in who Barabbas is. Now let's go back to the Jews. Did the Jews kill Jesus? Are the Jews responsible for the death of Jesus? How about you? How about me? Are we responsible for the death of Jesus? See, I think this is where we get a mint. The answer to the question is no. You see, the angelic hosts will not be redeemed by the cross. The ones who strayed, the one who chose, they're not going to be redeemed. Just the sons of the Father. Just the sons of the Father. You see, sin, sin, you were born with. Jesus came to redeem your sin. The sin was caused by the evil one way back when, and you've got this Genetic disposition to sin. We are having more and more brain science. I, I'm fascinated, so you just have to deal with me here. More and more brain science is coming out that tells us that our neurological pathway systems in the brain, roadmap, so to speak, can be changed based on our faith and trust in the Word of God. We can actually produce different biochemical things to get us to think differently and to bring different chemicals to our body so that we're no longer depressed. We, we, we're, we're, you know, those kinds of issues that our faith rise. There, there has always been a dependency on God, and now we're being able to prove it with brain activity. It's an amazing thing. And Jesus came to redeem that. He didn't come to make you feel condemned. He doesn't want you to be shamed into thinking, well, my sin killed Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to, to feel guilty. He didn't come to impose guilt upon you. We know we were guilty. We were born guilty. Yes? You see, what he came to do was free you. Because you were born into something that you had no control over. And so oftentimes there's guilt and shame that is associated when we come to the place where we realize we need a Savior. If anything killed Jesus, love killed Jesus. He loved us. God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would trust in him, that person would have everlasting life. If anything killed Jesus, it would love. But love didn't even kill Jesus. Because Jesus says about himself, I lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay it down. 
Nothing's going to kill me. I'm going to choose it for you so that what it is going to accomplish can actually manifest itself in your life. And that is freedom. Jesus died for freedom. He didn't die for guilt. He didn't die for shame. He didn't die so that you would feel condemned. The saving of Barabbas' life by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ graphically exhibits the love of God. The cross was made for this murderous criminal but God spared his life by sacrificing Jesus. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to shame. He didn't come to impose guilt. He came to free you. He came to free me. How he did that is he interceded on our behalf. Has anybody, was anybody alive besides me when Reagan was president? Anybody? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm feeling better now. Well, maybe you read in the newspaper or studied in history, if you weren't, there's a guy named Brady. And Brady was a Secret Service agent, and when the assassination attempt happened on Ronald Reagan, Brady stepped in the way and took the bullet. That's what Jesus does for you and me. He steps in the way and takes the bullet. Maybe you've seen a, an Army movie. I, I think I saw, I saw not long ago this Army deal, the SEAL team deal that they were going into this place and somebody threw a grenade in and that grenade was on the floor and there's like five or six of them in a room and the and the Marine or the Navy SEAL uh, jumped on the grenade and took the hit. That's what Jesus did. He took the hit so that we could be free. We're going to watch a video in just a moment. It's a drama kind of deal that just really tells the story of Barabbas again with great detail and excellence. We're going to watch that, and then at the end of it, we're going to take communion. And we're going to expand our vision on what freedom really looks like in our lives. And we're going to allow God to set us free. Amen? This is going to be great. Let's watch it. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? What's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. 
He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a, a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. They give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience of Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of a heavenly Father. gospel are you bound are you held under the power of this temptation this sin feel like it's controlling you what are you gonna do I'm gonna shake myself free stop it no you won't you're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin will not overcome it and you will never overcome it you'll just be another statistic there's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. 
How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus, and I'm the Barabbas, and they start to take my chains off, and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me, say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I, I'm so ashamed of you. Give me your shame. God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed, or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go, son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were going to set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough.